heard across the Resonate Regional Radio Network. It's my time, it's my life. I hope you will come along. This is Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin. Good morning and welcome to Rural Queensland today for this Monday morning, the 6th of February. A very good morning to everybody listening to us across the Resonate Broadcast Network through 4SB in Kingaroy, 4ZR Roma, 4VL in Charleville, 4HI in Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, 4LG Longreach, 4GC Charters Towers and the Hot Country Network. Good morning to you. Spotify is where you'll find any of our previous episodes. Ben Dobbin, Rural Queensland Today is where you go or you can get in contact with me, ben.dobbin at ruralqldtoday.com.au. Big show for everybody this morning. So much to get through on this busy Monday morning. Mark Barton will join us straight away uh, wrapping up the Nutrien Classic Sale. Unbelievable results that's gone there. An unbelievable $5,000 average uh, increase on last year. Um It just has been a juggernaut that continues to roll on. We'll catch up also with Dairy Farmer and Destination Scenic Rim board member Kay Tomerup. Eat Local Week um, is now Eat Local Month and just what a region can do uh, to their economy. If you build it, they will come. Peter Bedell is over for the Super Bowl, but also Liam Wilson, the young Queensland boxer, who was robbed in a world title fight. We'll catch up with him from Scottsdale, Arizona, and we're going to talk all things rural health and catch up with the GM of Communications and Capacity Building at AgriFutures, Belinda Allett. So much to get through this morning. It's a big show for you. Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. You're with Ben Dobbin. It's Monday morning, the 6th of February. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today. Mark Barton joining us this morning. The Nutrient Classic sale is done and dusted and records smashed once again. Um, This horse industry is just absolutely flying at the moment. But Nutrient have done just a phenomenal, phenomenal job in making this the elite sale in Australia and arguably one of the best in the world. Mark, good morning. Tired, no doubt. We talk to you at this time every year. Um, it, it's more about just trying to get home and gather your thoughts. But what a couple of weeks for you and just what an awesome, awesome result once again. Yeah, g'day, Dobbo. Mate, I, it's, I'm always, yeah, this time every year, mate, I'm just about out of voice, but we've um, the, the team's had a great result, mate. We've had 120 less horses. We've had to split our sale, as we spoke about, to put our over five-year-old horses into September, but we've still grossed more than last year with 120 less horses. And, that gross is now 17.1 million, which is unbelievable. 90% clearance is a record. Um, 32,000 average is a record. So the only thing we didn't um, didn't break this year was our uh, our record price from last year of 550,000. We topped out this year at 400,000. Unbelievable result. I I just can't get over the support. But the the best horses in the land are, are there now, and we know that. What what make what made this sale so strong was the consistency with the geldings. I've never seen geldings make as much money. I understand the mares and you had some really good results with the stallion, but geldings making one hundred and twenty thousand dollars—it's just unheard of. Look, and I know some of the people buying those horses, and, they're, they're, and I think credit to them the way the process is. There's a lot of them are business people that have worked very hard. They're probably at the at the back end of their working career, and they said, "Look, I've worked hard enough to deserve to buy a horse." That, I can get on and have a whole lot of fun with and you know, they, they look at it and say, like, if, if I only want to draft for the next six, eight years, uh, I might as well be riding the best possible horses. And there's numbers of those people that are looking to do that, so they're prepared to um, box on and try and buy one. But if they, uh, 
it's a whole new level. Um, two-year-old Geldings had terrific support from a couple of the you know, pastoral stations. Uh, what, in your opinion, makes – I mean, there, there was some – I thought early on when I was watching it in the first day, I'm oh, this, there could be some gaps here, and it just got stronger and stronger and stronger to to the point that your, your day four was almost record-breaking with, with, with your averages and everything like that. The support you're getting from everywhere around Australia now, are you surprised by it and how many people travel for this now? Look – I'm, I guess it's become an event rather than a sale, and that was always our aim to try and give people this different experience. You know, a new tune experience was the way people are treated, um, the fact that you've got entertainment every night with finals or competition, uh, it's free entry. I think the Australian ethos or, or yeah, the Australian culture does migrate back to horses, and I think there's a lot of people that maybe re, yeah, I guess, yeah being reintroduced to the horse industry and I think that's probably where it's grown. Like you, you look at the sport camp after this so uh, it, it's in this massive growth phase. Um, and other horse sports, yeah, performance horse sports are in the you know, major growth phase as well. You've got some other sporting pursuits are probably looking for young people to get involved. So look we're really it's very healthy. Um, it does come with a growing pain it's like the affordability of these horses. It, it's not an easy sport to get into now. No, you're dead right. Um and, and look with an average like a sale grossing seventeen million and ninety two ninety two thousand dollars and a and an average of thirty two thousand six hundred and eighty, which was five thousand more than last year with a hundred and twelve fewer horses. Mark, that, that is just a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal effort. Um I, I just don't understand and I I mean it can't well I suppose it can, but we, we see these kind of prices in in the US and we've always yeah. looked with envy, but I I, I think they're they're getting to the point where they're parallel. Like, you know, they're getting to the point where it is supported so strongly now that people looking over will be going, wow, that's great money for a horse. I think the other thing, the Australian um, breeder and the Australian trainer needs to be very proud of what the Australian horse is. The Australian performance horse, it is different to the American horse in some ways. The subtleties of what we do in camp is different to say run cow or paddock. I think the effort that goes in from the breeders and particularly these trainers that, that present a world-class product is that's being rewarded. Our, our, our product, our horse, it does belong on the world stage and the way we present it, we're proud of it. The way that our breeders and our vendors and trainers you know, present them on a weekend is, is phenomenal. The way we work horses on cattle, actually. Um, the way that we have two stud books you know, selling Australian stock horse Australian quarter horse in the one market, that's unique. And I think that's what some, I think that's one of the really important things that's made this event become what it is today. And I ask this now, were there a lot of horses sold post-sale? I mean, that's half the battle for you guys. Not everything gets sold in the ring and you're working overtime. Was there a lot of that that took place and is there still more horses to be sold? Yeah, look, definitely there will be. We we actually had, you know, one of our key staff, Kerry Ryan, who's named the most people in Queensland, that's Kerry's job on, on, on sale weekend, that passing horse to you know, try and broker a deal between buyer and seller and keep those those uh, those horses turning over, which um, I, I would say at fall of a handle was probably early 80s, but probably 7 or 8% of the sales that we've got now were made you know, within an hour of the horse going out of the ring that didn't sell. And sure. I'd expect we'd sell another, we'll certainly sell another couple of hundred thousand dollars worth of horses. In. That's what historically will happen over the next 24 hours that, Horses that were under off or people are 
you know, getting a, a, a you know, making a decision by I'll close the business today. Mark, talk to me about this um, sale that you're going to have now that you've had to s- split. When's that on and, and, and what kind of numbers are you expecting for that? Yeah, so anything over five now, mate, we go to the first weekend in September. It's at the ALEC Centre again. Uh, we call it our, our Masters graduate sale. So the Masters being the over fives and if any graduate horse comes back, so if you bought a horse that offers out of uh, our Charters Towers to Lumba or Tamworth sale and you retain ownership, we put a hundred and fifty thousand dollar draft up exclusively exclusively to them and we'll sell we'd expect somewhere between one fifty and two hundred open age horses now in September. Uh, they'll obviously be able to come back to the graduate draft each year. Uh, or if there's an underage like a three or four year old horse, they can come back to the classic as well and compete. So it's just to probably allow us to um, you know, get get room for so up to eight hundred horses rather than turning 200 and sometimes 300 horses away from that February sale. Yeah, you're dead right. Um, you're dead right. And it, it, it is something that everybody is just – I mean, that's the sale that a lot of people are going to be going to now because, you know, you can get a horse there and it, it's going as well and obviously they compete as well. Mark, congratulations. Um, just a phenomenal result. Uh, and, I mean, you're the brains behind it you're, and I know that you've got a lot of help. I know you've got a lot of help but – you're there, you steer it, and I really appreciate your time. Go and enjoy the break, catch up with your family, long overdue, and uh, no doubt we'll talk to you throughout the course of the year with a lot. You obviously guys are now in, in in the thoroughbred industry as well. You're looking at that, and Nutrien are doing phenomenal, phenomenal things in this horse industry. What they're doing with the economy is phenomenal. So appreciate your time this morning. No, anytime, Dobbo. Great to have a chat, mate. Good on you. We'll take a break. What a great result that is. We'll take a break, come back. Rural Queensland today. Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network, GM of Communications and Capacity Building at AgriFutures is Belinda Allett and she joins us this morning after the Queensland Rural Women's Award finalists have been named. Uh, Belinda, good morning. Thank you so much for being with us on this Monday morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, This is a pretty special award. Um, There's no two ways about it. It's uh, the Queensland Rural Women's Award finalists and the award is the positive contributions to rural and regional communities for Queensland women who have been recognised within their nominations um, for the 2023 AgriFutures Rural Women's Award. They receive a $15,000 Westpac grant and represent Queensland at the national announcement in September. And in addition, where they have a chance to win an additional $20,000 Westpac grant. Uh, there's so many amazing women and, and who are playing just amazing roles in the agricultural industry. And we have some phenomenal finalists this year. Yeah, we certainly do. And it's amazing to see the depth and breadth, I suppose, of the programs or projects that these women are working on and also the spread across your state. Uh, so we have winners from you know, Sunshine Coast right up to Cairns, Toowoomba, Kingaroy, and there's a real range. So you've got um, a woman who's working in a... Um, IT, software, livestock producer, sort of supply chain um, technology, right through to a pet food, um, you know, and and manufacturing. So it's really interesting to see the depth and breadth of the project. And it is a really prestigious award. And it's been going for, you know, well and truly over a couple of decades, so 25 years. And um, these women are now part of a really rich alumni as well in the in the Queensland um, area, and then also across the nation. So, 
the, the finalists who receive a $2,000 grant from the state sponsor, the University of Queensland, if they're not named the winner, Emma Black, who you mentioned, from Kingaroy, whose real-time analysis and insight software for livestock producers is generating certainty across the supply chain. So Emma was one. Emma Louise Gibbons, who is from the Sunshine Coast, using Australian-farmed insect protein uh, to sustainably produce a line of dog, fu- dog food um, and treats. You've got Kate Lamison uh, from Cairns, who vertically integrated production models and has brought tuna canning to Australian markets. And Louise Noble from Toowoomba, who is creating industry partnerships that upskill and connect disadvantaged job seekers to agricultural employment. All four are just awesome. You'd like to give it to all four. But um, you look at these, and, and, and what's the criteria for these finalists? How do these four young ladies um, become finalists? And then what are they up against um, across Australia? Yeah. So to be to become a finalist, uh, so the criteria is that you need to have a project or a program, so all of the ones that you just read out, that are in market um, or live, like they're, they're actually happening um, and they're not an idea, they're already a reality, if that makes sense. The acceleration grant, which is another program that we have, that's for the idea stage, okay? So this part of the, of the awards program is that they've got something, they've got a project, they've realised that it's going to be beneficial to a customer or a consumer or whoever it may be and they've decided to hit the ground running and go to market with it. And from there then they need to be able to demonstrate that they've got scope to grow, can they compete on a national market because whoever wins here, whoever's the um, Queensland winner then goes um, into represent Queensland and will be up against the six other state and territory um, award winners. And um, and so they've really just got to have a um, you know a sustainable project and and that can that can deliver value to whoever their key audience is and they've got to be able to really demonstrate you know this project is for this audience and this is what I'm going to do in the future this is what I'm doing now this is my plans for the future and this is the positive impact that I'm going to create through this project yeah and that's so important as well isn't it um, that that they understand the full uh, impact that that it is making and I like the fact as well Belinda that this it gives younger girls I've got a, a 15 year old daughter who wants to go back to agriculture and is trying to look. There's lots of young, inspiring women who now see a full pathway, and that's completely shifted, which is the right thing. But these four finalists and these kind of things, they empower young ladies to 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 chase those dreams. It's not that traditional what it used to be. Um, oh, my son's coming back. They are at the forefront now. Yeah, absolutely. And we have a sort of a saying around this award that you can't be what you can't see. And so that's why we, you know, really spend so much time and effort putting these women on this amazing platform, the platform that they deserve so people can see them, so more people have insights into what what they're doing. Because you're exactly right, the times have changed, thank goodness. Yes. And it is the norm now for young women, you know, like your daughter, to be able to see a pathway in agriculture. And so there should be. We really need young women coming forward and, and wanting a career in agriculture because we need diversity in agriculture. We need diversity of thought. We need diversity, gender diversity, and we need geographical diversity. So we need all those things. And this award showcases these women and it allows people like your daughter, which is absolutely perfect, to think, you know what, one day I could actually 
you know, if you're interested in bees or insects or whatever, that there's a whole world out there and it doesn't, you know, that, you know, I mean, who would have thought insects for pet food, you know, five, ten years ago? Like, amazing. Um, so, and, you know, or from a health perspective or from a community perspective. And the other thing is that's really important is that we want people to be able to say, you know, these women, whether or not they're, you know, it's a community project or a business project, because to be part of this award, you can have either. That, and particularly if it's a business side of things, that it can be viable and that agriculture is a really prosperous industry. Yeah, Westpac have been huge supporters of this over a long time. I mean, they put up the, the kind of money they're putting up and the support they give to us shows that they want to see these kind of awards continue because they're so important. Oh, look, Westpac have been amazing. They've been a sponsor for over 10 years and um, every year they just bring more and more to the table in terms of also their involvement, you know, they always have a representative across every state and territory sitting on the judging panel. They are there for the women to help them through their journey. They, you know, turn up at the awards night. They've been fantastic. We couldn't ask for a better partner. Um, and, you know, really that they've been in it for so long demonstrates that, you know, we're, it's really aligned to their values in terms of what they're also trying to do for agriculture and for rural industries. And so, yeah, it's a perfect match, really. Can I ask, when does this get announced? Emma, Emma Louise, uh, Kate and Louise, when will there, <laughs> when will there be – yes, Emma's and, and Louise's, <laughs> yeah. When will there be an announcement? Yes, yeah, so Thursday the 2nd of March in Brisbane, there's an event um, that will be made up of a lot of Rural Women's Award alumni. Yep. Um, obviously, the government, um, Queensland University, the um, Queensland government, everyone will be there getting behind that. Um, and there'll be uh, an announcement, like a lovely event, a celebration really, because awesome. yes, there'll be a winner, but um, all four of these women will be um, recognised um, and deservedly so. Fantastic. Looking forward to that as well. Uh, the four finalists um, for the Queensland Rural Women's Award, um, the AgriFutures Rural Women's Award, all thanks to Westpac, um, uh, Emma, Emma Black from Kingaroy, Emma Louise Gibbons from the Sunshine Coast, Kate Lamison from Cairns, and Louise Noble from Toowoomba. Best of luck to those ladies. And the 2nd of March, that announcement will keep everybody updated. Belinda, thank you so much for being with us this morning and uh, just what an awesome, awesome awards this is and how important it is for the bush. We really appreciate your time this morning. No, fantastic. Thanks for your support and thanks for um, profiling these wonderful women on your, um, you know, on your channel. Amazing. Great. Thanks so much. We'll take a break, come back with more. This is Rural Queensland Today. Kay Tummer up not far away. Peter Bedell joining us soon as well. This is Rural Queensland Today across the Resonate Broadcast Network. It is Monday morning, the 6th of Feb. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today. Normally we don't focus a lot on the world of boxing, but over the weekend a young man went and fought in Arizona in a world title fight. His name was Liam Wilson. And if ever there's been a controversy in boxing, which it seems to go hand in hand. This is one of the greats. He's normally on this show because he's talking rugby league. He's in America at the moment from Scottsdale in Arizona. Peter Bedell, good morning uh, on this Monday morning. Bomber, you can find a junket anywhere, but this will be up there with the greatest of all. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dobbo, I've just uh, walked out of an American barbecue joint. We've had a great feed for lunch. Me and a few of the other journos here, uh, good crew. And uh, I must say, mate, I, I never thought I'd be here, Dobbo, in Arizona covering the boxing, but, but here I am, and it's, it's been a good trip, been a great trip. I'll get to what you're doing tomorrow, but 
Let's just talk about Liam Wilson and this fight. Touted as a massive underdog, he ended up looking like he should have won. And once again in boxing in America, there's been another controversy. Yeah, Dobbo, quite quite amazing the scenes over here. I mean, Liam Wilson was on the verge, Dobbo, I'd say two or three seconds away from pulling off what would arguably be the, the greatest boil over in Australian boxing history. I mean, he was he started as an 18-to-1 underdog to beat Navarrete, who's a two-division world champion, was coming up in weight for the first time, and Navarrete was expected to pulverise Wilson, but he came out, Liam, and fought the fight that I think Australian boxing fans know that he's capable of. And in the fourth round, when he dropped to Navarrete, it was a crackling moment. The arena went silent, and a boil over loomed. And in the end, he was. it was a controversial moment, Dobbo. As we've since heard, it went for 27 seconds to count, which is just a debacle. He was, I believe he was genuinely robbed. I know we use that word a lot in sport, in particularly in rugby league. But I believe Liam Wilson was genuinely robbed. He should be the world champion. He's not. He went so close, but he did Australia proud, and he did himself proud. It was it was a the fight of his life, and he should always be proud because it was a fantastic performance. And I think he'll win a world title one day, Dobbo. It will come. The the big thing, Pete, that we get from these kind of things, and um, I don't actually understand how that gets to twenty seven seconds. And I understand he spat his mouth guard out. I understand Navarrete um, was the firm favourite, but the devastation, and this is from the photos and, and from some of the stuff that I saw of Liam Wilson afterwards, he was genuinely shattered. Well, Dobbo, I've been a sports journalist for 26 years, and I must say, interviewing Liam in the in his own dressing shed after the fight, I've never seen a more broken sportsman as, as a journalist standing in front of me. He was... He was so disconsolate, beyond words. He was. He put everything into that fight. He'd made a bedside promise to his father, Peter Dobbo, when he died 10 years ago, that he'd win a world title for him. And that was something that he thought he was on the verge of when he dropped Navarrete. It was an achievement not only for, for Liam, but his dad, his dead dad. And all the emotion came out. And as a journalist, it was almost, it left you empty yourself just to watch him so broken. But, but Dobbo, I think, Anyone who watched the fight will say what a cracking fight it was, and he just performed beyond expectations. It was it was outstanding, and he's now put himself Dobbo on the world stage. He could get a fight against just about any opponent in his division any time now. I believe he's that quality. He's world class, and if he can overcome this setback and not let it break his spirit, but instead embolden him and give him confidence, he can compete with the best. Then he will conquer the world one day. I have no doubt about that. Navarrete, was there any kudos from his camp that Liam Wilson was a much better opponent than they expected and were they um, warm and and glowing in praise of the fight that he put up? Yeah, they were, Dobbo. I mean, as we know, yeah, they, they're not great English speakers, but the translator said after the fight that Navarrete was actually surprised by Liam Wilson's power. He'd never been dropped to that extent before. It was a savage blow that dropped him. And so Navarrete gave him great credit for... For Wilson's punching power, he's got a very, very lethal left hook, and Navarrete felt that in the fourth round. So apparently, they spoke after the fight, Dobbo, Navarrete, and Wilson, and talked about a possible rematch potentially in Australia if the money's right. Well, look, I doubt that, Dobbo. I don't think Navarrete would want to go anywhere near Liam Wilson again. But if it was to be a rematch, it would be a cracking fight and, and possible redemption for Liam. 
Yeah, that that that's the big one. But boxing's always clouded in controversy. We know that. Okay, Pete. The other big thing is that the biggest thing that's happening in America is the Super Bowl. That happens this time, <laughs> this time in a week's time. But you are there in Arizona, and tomorrow there is a phenomenal story um, about an Australian who you wrote the first article about, who you'll be interviewing tomorrow. It's a pretty special story about Jordan Mylata. Yeah, absolutely, Dobbo. It, it is a remarkable story for people of Australia and a boy from Bankstown, Dobbo, who was playing rugby league. He was 158 kilos, 203 centimetres. He was too big for rugby league and basically his management tried to get him a deal in the NRL. The best he could get was a $10,000 offer from the North Sydney Bears to play reserve grade. And his manager said, you were too big for rugby league. Why don't we try and have a crack at the NFL? They rolled the dice, Dobbo, and five years later, Jordan Malada will run out for the Philadelphia Eagles in the Super Bowl with it just so close now to a championship ring. It is a phenomenal story. He now is on a four-year, $64 million deal. And his journey is is something that's quite inspirational for, for any young Australian kid who doubts about their ability to conquer the world. Well, Jordan Malata's done it. And tomorrow night, Dobbo, I'll be attending the the NFL Media Day where he'll be talking to the media. And uh, it will be fascinating to talk to Jordan because when I did the first story on him five years ago, I don't think he could have envisaged this. None of us could. And now this is his shot at at a dream. Yeah, and the big thing is about it is that there is so many people um, who don't go – overseas or don't put themselves at risk. His story, he left his family. I mean, this guy is an absolute beast in American sport now. Um, He is a monster. And you talked about the kind of money. He is worth every cent and he's a valuable, valuable part of what the Philadelphia Eagles – and it all came from him having and backing his own ability with his management team. He left his family – he left everybody around him who he loved to try and chase this, and now he gets to play in a Super Bowl. Uh, absolutely, Dom. And his sister said it best in a recent documentary they did where she said he has changed generational names for the Maladas forever, and he's given every boy or girl from Bankstown hope that they can achieve anything they want in life. And Dobbo, he went over there virtually broke. He's now on $7 million this season. Next year, his salary rises to $21 million. Oh and his next deal will be in the vicinity of more than $100 million. So it is it is truly head-spinning. But most of all, though, it's about going on the field and getting the job done and winning a championship ring. And it's something I'm sure Jordan never envisaged, and he now has a chance to do it. It's, it's quite remarkable. Amazing. I'll let you get back to the barbecue smokehouse in Scottsdale, Arizona, Bomber. Um, we appreciate yeah. your time. Liam Wilson uh, really representing Australia um, even though not winning that world title fight and also the Super Bowl coming with another Aussie achieving absolute um, stardom over there in Jordan Mylata. Uh, so I appreciate your time this morning. Thank you so much, and we'll catch up when you get back. No worries, Dobbo. Don't ask me to do an American accent, mate, but I'll have a barbecue rib for you. Good on you, brother. Talk to you later. See ya. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Welcome back to rural Queensland today. Well, the old saying, if you build it, they will come. Well, come they have, and the great news for everybody is that the Scenic Rim Regional Council has announced that Eat Local Week will now run for a whole month in this year in June. 
What started off as just a idea has now become a destination around Queensland and it shows every other regional council that if you build these kind of things, it happens. Kay Tomerup joins us this morning. She's a Scenic Rim board member, Destination Scenic Rim board member and a dairy farmer. Kay, good morning. Um, firstly, what a great story. What a great, great story this is. <laughs> it is. It's fabulous. Um, and definitely you've nailed it. If you build it, they will come. And, and it's been so good for all of our businesses as farmers and producers to be able to showcase our products over those years that it's been running and the success that it's created, not only for our entire region, but for us um, as individual businesses is amazing. So it started in 2011. Um, 900 people attended the, the paddock to plate experience with local farmers and chefs and brewers. And then Eat Local became this juggernaut. Last <laughs> year alone, 35,000 visitors attended. It put $2 million into the local co- economy. And, and I don't think anybody envisaged it was going to become like that. I, I mean, I remember going to a, a, an Eat Local week in, in maybe 17 or 18 up at Spices um, that was unbelievable. And I remember going last year to a few of these days and it was just next level. I mean – what do you think it is? Is it that people want to get to know what goes on in the bush? And, 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 and do you think that there's scope for something like this in other parts of Queensland where there is a bigger population? I definitely think that there's more people interested, not just uh, I don't think in what happens in country areas, but I think what happens specifically on farms and um, there's a bit of romance about it, I think, for people coming out to somebody's farm and seeing what's going on um, and I definitely think that we're going to see this in other areas they're not going to be able to nail it like Scenic Rim has sure I certainly think that others are watching and wherever I go um, you know, talking to people about agritourism you always hear people say oh I know about Eat Local Week which obviously now Eat Local Month um, but, but it certainly is very well known and there are people who are trying to work out how can we bring this to our region to bring the benefits to our farmers and to our community. Yeah, and that's the, the big thing. Um, from dinners to farm gate experience, food walks, tastings, tours, workshops, it, it, it's unbelievable and it culminates on the Winter Harvest Festival. Tell me this, h- how does an Eat Local Week – well, it's not an Eat Local Week anymore. How does an Eat Local Month ha- – how much more work's involved then if there's a whole month of work? Look, that's a really good point. Um, I think there will be more work involved for for everybody really, organisers and for us as participants um, in the event. But what it really does is spread it out a little bit as well. We've, we've always really struggled to have enough stock, um, to have enough energy really to do more events during that time. And everybody's trying to cram in so much over a week Whereas when we've got a month, you can actually think about where can I put these things? I could do weekdays, I could do um, some weekends, I could actually have enough stock to do a few different events for others who are doing dinners or or lunches or whatever because the majority of people who are participating as producers are small producers in our region Sure, and it's a big ask to, I can't just go to the cows and say, righto. We're tripling our output this yeah. week, girls. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so come on, it's your game. Um, so for those perishable products, it's really difficult to be increasing our capacity. Giving us a month allows us to try and, and manage that a bit better. 
Yeah, and you can spread different events out, and and obviously, and, and obviously prepare. Uh, Thirty five thousand visitors last year. You would think that that would double. I would think so, and I actually think that we might get a little bit different visitor um, because we're all looking at this. You know, we've had a review and refresh, really, of what are you going to do this time? What's what's everybody going to offer? And certainly on our farm, we've really looked at why we participate and what it gives to us and what it provides to our customer. Um, and I think that you'll see a lot of different events this time because everybody's looking at that. You know, we've been doing this for 11 years and let's, let's make sure that we're giving the best experience that we possibly can and achieving the results that we want for our particular farm and for our region. It's trying to get more people to understand what we do. And it's a snapshot, only be it small, but that impression is what defines people's thought process. So if you're championing and showcasing what not only your farm does, but also what agriculture does, and somebody from New Farm or somebody from Logan or whether or not they're on the Gold Coast or the Sunny Coast and they see it and they get an understanding of it, well, then they go home and they tell their friends. And that, that just might change their mindset when they do go to that supermarket, when they do go – and see protests outside the front from extreme far left, um, mm. you know, and that might just change their point of view, which is imperative long term. So that's the that's the big thing out of this, as well as there's some great celebrations. But for towns like Calbar and Roadvale and Boona and and you know Peak Crossing and, and Harrisville and and all through that scenic rim, even the way um, outside towards Bay. This has done phenomenal for these towns. The economy, um, mm-hmm. for you know, infrastructure, for more people putting, making them on the map, and and that entail obviously gets more services and gets more accessibility, and it increases housing prices. Everything from that it does, and and I think it was a really important point that you raised about raising the profile of agriculture and, and getting people to know what actually happens because we don't have that loud voice. As an industry, no, there are there are plenty of um, people telling our story. Most of it isn't true, so um, we need to get out there and make sure that we're telling the positive side of what we do and how hard we try to look after the land to create beautiful products for consumers, rather than people telling the things that we do that are on that negative side. So this is one way that we can do that. People are enjoying themselves and they're learning yep. about what happens on a farm, whereas when it, it's different to trying to ram that message down somebody's throat. This is an, an enjoyable way to learn about what happens on a farm and a real farm. Yeah, and that's exactly right. Um, I'm looking forward to to seeing how this goes, which I'm sure it'll be a rip-roaring success because Eat Local Week 2022, which had 125 events across the region, attracted 35,000 visitors and put almost $2 million into the local economy, was out of this world um, it, we're going to do it for a month and spread it out. The month of June culminates in the winter harvest um, on the 1st of July. I just think that is a fantastic, fantastic initiative. Now, the programs, no doubt, will come out shortly um, and um, and everything, and there'll be those trail maps and all those kind of wonderful things 
that are accessible. Mm. So looking forward to all of that. Kay, uh, thank you so much. I know that you're, you're heavily involved and thanks for giving me some time this morning. Destination Scenic Rim Board Member Kay Tummerup and also Dairy Farmer uh, talking about now what will be Eat Local Month. And a lot of towns who, if you build it, they will come. They persevered, uh, the Scenic Rim, and look where they got to today. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Good on you. Kay Tummerup. We'll take a break, come back with more. This is Rural Queensland Today. Well, that's it from us here this morning at Rural Queensland today on this very busy Monday morning, the 6th of February. Have a great day. Ray Hadley will join you next. And remember, when the weed is ripe, keep the headers rolling in the paddock. We'll be back tomorrow morning from 9. Spotify, uh, Rural Queensland today with Ben Dobbin is where you can find any of our episodes. And remember, stay safe on the roads, Queensland. Till next time, it's bye for now.